I want to start today by telling you a story. A few years ago, and the story's going somewhere, okay? It's not, sometimes I accuse of going on rabbit trails, but the rabbit trails generally start with something important and I get on a trail I can't remember why I'm telling the story. But this one is a story with a purpose. Um, that a few years ago, um, we as a family were in the process of uh, becoming world missionaries with the Assemblies of God and moving to Cambodia. And so you, a lot of you know we lived in Cambodia for, for a while. We were with our world missions department for three years. And we were missionaries in Cambodia, but we were in the process. We were in the, the final stages of, of getting there. And we had to make a decision. We were living in Grafton at the time, and we had a duplex that we lived in. It's a small little duplex, and that was the way we could afford to live in Ozaki County, so we, we lived in half and rented out the other half. And so that's what we had. We had this duplex, and we were sitting there, and now we're going to move 12,000 miles away, exactly the opposite side of the world, 12 time zones. And we decided, what do we do with this duplex? Do we keep it? Do we get rid of it? And, and we talked about it and prayed about it, and we thought the wise financial decision was to keep the duplex. But then when we made that decision, that was just an easy decision. It wasn't like saying we're going to, you know, whatever, we're going to take with us our, you know, whatever. We could have taken Cambodia with us. Um, this caused a, a kind of a dilemma because now we're going to be 12,000 miles away and we're going to have a duplex in Wisconsin and what are we going to do with it? How are we going to maintain it? What are we going to do with this property? How are we going to find renters when renters leave when we're 12,000 miles away? How are we going to figure out who should live there? Who's going, to, who's going to do all that stuff? How are we going to fix the things that break? Anybody who has a home knows that always things are breaking, right? And so how are you going to handle that? You know, normally that renters just call me on the phone and say, hey, Mark, the whatever, the toilet's not flushing, and I'll go figure it out and, and fix it. So what we did is we went and we were living in the duplex. We went and talked to the people on the other side that lived on the other side, and we said, hey, we'll make you a deal. If you will manage the property, we'll reduce your rent. And then you take care of everything in the property. And they said, that sounds like a good idea. We'd like to save some money. And so, so they said, we'll do that. And they began to do it. And we talked to them about it probably four, five, six months before we left. So it's all in place. Then right before we move, they go, we want to talk to you. And they go, well, we really want to still stay here, but we don't like this managing thing. We don't want to take care of anything. That's the reason we rent. And you know what? They basically said this, it's not worth it to us. We, don't, we want to call somebody else in the toilet's clogged, not have to go there ourselves. So, so guess what? We want to stay here, but we don't want to manage the property. And so this is right before we're going to move overseas, so we're thinking, what do we do now? And so we knew a person that owned a bunch of properties, and so we went to that person and we said, could we hire you? to manage this property? Could we manage you to take care of the, the renting and collecting the rent and, and um, fixing things when they're broken? And that person said yes, yeah. so we worked out a, a financial agreement. It was good for them that they'd get paid X amount of money and they'd manage it for us. So here they, we left. We left and we go overseas and they communicated us through, through email because we obviously couldn't just pick up the phone. We were, we were 12 hours different, you know, and so you couldn't just talk that easy. And so we communicate with email. Everything seemed fine, but we found out that they managed it different than we cared for it. That they didn't really look at it the same way as we did as the managers of the property. They did not view the property the way we did as the owners of the property. For instance... Um, we got an email one time saying, oh, just FYI, uh, there were some plumbing issues in one of the units. And so we called the plumber, and the plumber came in and fixed it, and, and, and this is what it cost you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it cost me how much to fix what? 
Because if I would have been there, they would have called me, I would have went over there, and in 20 minutes fixed that problem, and it would have cost me nothing. Um, but it cost us, you know, this big bill from a, from a plumber. And, uh, uh, hey, I'm all for plumbers getting paid, but, but I'm like, hey, uh, this seems a little crazy, a little much. But the managers of it just made a phone call. They never went. They just made a phone call, and, you know, renter said it was a problem. They made a phone call, and boom, they fixed it. Also, under their management, one of the sides of the property, um, without any permission, decides that they want to change the way the house looks. And so it's a, it's a condo style. It's a two-story in a, in a basement. And so they decide that they want to have a room in the basement. And so they build walls. They put in flooring. They rerouted the heat system. They cut the plumbing out. Drilled holes through the joists, ran plumbing through the joists. They added electrical outlets on the outside. They did all this stuff all without any permits. Put flooring on the floor. Did all this, and we come home to, what is going on here? This is all illegal. You can't do any of this. And so they did all that under the management of this hired person. They went on the deck. They didn't like the. It's got a deck, and it's got these permanent benches on the deck, wood decks. So they just took a skill saw and they just cut them out because they didn't like them like that. And so they did all kinds of stuff. What we were surprised by. They decided to paint the steps. They decided to do anything you can imagine that I would have said, no, you can't do that. I'm 12,000 miles away. They didn't even talk to the manager about it. The manager didn't bother coming by ever because they just got the check and didn't get any phone calls. And, and they, didn't, they didn't do anything wrong. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying they'd managed it different than I would have cared for it as the owner. Now, here's the purpose to my story. As the owner... What was done to the property was important to me. It had, it had a financial repercussion. It had a, you know, I had to deal with what's legal or illegal. And it was important to me. And those situations that some of the tenants did uh, gave me some grief. To be honest, it gave me some heartburn. You know, probably caused me a couple of sleepless nights trying to figure out when I come back and I go, what's this? You can't do this. This is illegal. You can't do this stuff. But for the manager, the one who collected the paycheck to do it, um, they did feel bad. It's like, well, guys, how? Oh man, we didn't know. They felt bad, um, and they are really nice people, and we know them. They're very nice, and they're very caring, and they're very conscientious. But it wasn't that big of a deal to them. You know, they didn't get any heartburn. They didn't lose any sleep. Well, they just said, "Oh, we're sorry." <laughs> you know, okay. And here's here's the point. They felt a level of freedom as the managers of the property that we didn't feel as the owners of the property. They felt freer. They didn't have the same level of pressure, the same level of responsibility as the, as, as the managers that we did as the owners. Okay, you got that idea? Now keep that idea in your mind. Keep this idea and kind of file it right now because we're gonna, I'm gonna take you down a path now and tie that thought in with another thought, okay? So keep this idea that, that they didn't have the same level, they had a, they had a different level, a higher level of freedom as managers than we did as the owners. Now, last Sunday, most of us were here last Sunday, Easter Sunday. Can you imagine Easter was only a week ago? It's like Easter was like six months ago, but it was, it was seven days ago. That last Sunday was Easter. And when we looked into God's Word last Sunday, we found that eternal life starts the day we come to Christ. Right? That's what we found. 
that eternal life starts the day that we come together. That eternal life, we looked at this, was both a present reality and a future blessing. That most of the time when we think of eternal life, we think of life after death. We're talking about something out there somewhere. But what we found was that the day we receive Christ as Savior, eternal life, spiritual life, begins. That the moment that a person finds salvation in Jesus, it's like this. If you remember in the story, it's like the day that God created Adam. Remember in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, it talks about God creating the whole world, everything, and it comes to creating Adam. And it says this about creating Adam. It says that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. That there he lay. Imagine this. There, God formed him, and there he lay is fully formed in the form of an adult, fully formed but lifeless. But then it says something in the next verse. It says that God then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Imagine what Adam must have felt like, what that moment must have been like. God breathes the life of the Spirit into him, and Adam opens his eyes for the first time. He sees everything for the first time. He's a a fully formed, grown adult. He sees everything for the first time. He's looking into the face of God, whatever that would be. We don't really know. He's living at that moment in eternal life. God has breathed life into him. And because he is sinless at that very moment, because remember, at this stage, death um, has not yet entered the arena of humanity and the world, because man has not rejected God's way yet. So when he is the breath of, of God was breathed into him, at that moment, he is experiencing the fullness of, of eternal life. And there's Adam, completely new, completely alive, no sin, no death. Friends, at a moment, at the moment a person comes to Christ, they're like Adam at that moment. When you come to Christ, if your sin's forgiven, you're like Adam at that moment. God sees that person when they come to Christ as sinless and alive and eternal spiritually. That's how he sees that person. Now sure, there are effects of the sins of the past still in the person's life. There's still the drag. That's what, that's what freedom life is all about. There's still a drag on your life because of the reality of the world, the reality of sin in the world. There's still effects on your life. But in God's perspective, He looks at you like Adam at that moment, and you are alive. You are forgiven. You are perfect and sinless in God's eyes. That's the moment you enter into eternal life. You know, generally we think of that that somehow as eternal life being something in the future. But think of it this way. It is eternity. Eternal. It's eternity. And eternity is not just out there. Eternity is all the way back there from the beginning where there is no beginning. The past. It's the present. And it's the future. That's eternity. God, Scripture tells us, is eternal. He always has been. He is now. And He always will be. That's eternal. That's the life we receive when, like Adam, the breath of God's Spirit is breathed into us at salvation. And now new eternal life now happens. Living life with brand new eternal eyes. God looking at us as perfect and sinless and alive. Eternal life is that future blessing, but it's also a present reality. And as Christians, we get to live now when we recognize it, live in the reality and the power 
of this eternal reality in our life. We get to live in that reality of that power of that relationship today. And that should affect everything about our life today and our outlook toward tomorrow. Now, for today and for the next couple of weeks, I want us to talk about something pertaining to this living an eternal life today. I want us to talk about this. And we're going we're to look at different dimensions of it. We'll look at one today, but to different dimensions over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at this. The freedom, freedom that we gain when we live in the reality of our eternal life today. And I would say this. It is possible to not live in freedom. Have it. It's potentially there, but you don't recognize it and live according to it, and you don't get to live in the full blessing of it. And so I want us to, to get I want us to get a hold over the next couple of weeks of the freedom that God intends for us to have when we are not tied to the death of this world. When we recognize that we have eternal life breathed into us from the moment of salvation throughout all of eternity. And so the aspect, the one aspect I want us to look at it today is this. I want us to embrace something today, and it's this. The freedom that we receive when we go from ownership to management. The freedom that we receive when we have a position change in our thinking from ownership, and I'll explain what this means, from ownership to management. You're going to see it's a biblical idea, a biblical concept. Now let's go back to the duplex, okay? Use this and tie it into the spiritual application here. The manager of my duplex had a level of freedom in the situation that the owner, me and Suzanne, did not have. There was a level of freedom that they have because they didn't own it, they managed it. And in this eternal life that we're, that we're living today, God intends for us to have greater freedom as we understand that He is the owner of everything and He calls us to be the managers of what is His, but He entrusts to our care. He has ultimate responsibility for everything, while we His children are responsible to Him to follow His leadership and to live under His care. He's the owner. We're the managers. We're, living, we're supposed to be living in this position where God is up here. He's, God is the owner. He's on top. That's why we call Him Lord. The Lord is someone who's over everybody else. God is up here. And we are down here as the managers. And when we're in this position, this proper position, this position gives us great freedom as people. Because God owns ultimate responsibility and we just live under Him, under His control, and we can rest in that control that He's the owner of everything. Friends, that's freedom. That's where freedom comes from, part of it in our eternal life. Living today in the reality of this eternal relationship that we have, that God breathed life into us, and now we have a daily, every single day, eternal relationship with the living Savior, and in fact, we are eternal. We live in that reality as a present reality today, where He's here and we're here. You see, before God breathed life into you, before you knew Jesus as your Savior and Lord, before God renewed you, before you were made alive in Christ, the positions were reversed. 
You lived up here as you were God, you were Lord, you were King. And Jesus, even if he was any part of your life, was somewhere down here. And that's the relationship you lived in. Man believing that he is the, has ultimate ownership over everything that he puts his name on, ultimate ownership over life and, and everything that he claims to be his own. But in this position, ultimately what happens is therefore you feel a pressure of the ownership, a pressure of the responsibility to manage and, and to, to own everything and control everything when you're in this wrong situation with man on the top and God on the bottom. And people describe it this way. It's like having the weight of the world on your shoulders. When people come to Christ, what they so often say, there's this common theme they say when the breath of God is breathing in their life. They say this, Pastor, it's like a thousand pounds have been lifted from my shoulders. It's the weight of ownership responsibility shifting, saying I'm owner and, and, and God is somewhere maybe down here, to now God is owner and I'm a servant of His, I'm a manager of His stuff, and now the weight of the responsibility of ownership lifts from our shoulders. That pressure of, that, of the wrong position, that pressure of being the ultimate owner, leads people into all kinds of attempts at relieving that pressure. They do all kinds of things to try to relieve the pressure of ownership. So what do, they, what do we do as humanity? We crawl into a bottle. We crawl into to alcohol or pills or whatever else to escape the pressure of that ownership responsibility. Or this is what we do in Ozaki County a lot. We just work harder and harder and harder to keep all the plates spinning. You know I'm talking about a circus where they got all the sticks and all the plates spinning? Here's what I found out about keeping all the plates spinning. You can only do it until you get so tired that you can't do it. Right? There's an end game to it. You can't keep all the plates spinning forever. The guy in the circus that does it can't do it for eternity. He can go for a little while, but eventually the plates, he can't keep spinning them all. We try to do that. We try to just work harder and harder and harder. Keep all the plates spinning. Or another thing that we do very often as people is we just distract ourselves with recreation and entertainment so we really don't have to think. If we never get quiet, we feel the pressure, we can't stand being quiet, so we always consume ourselves with something that's distracting. And generally, because we have great resources in America, great resources in Wisconsin, we, we invest all this incredible amount of energy into recreation or entertainment. Just thinking that it will kind of divert me. I won't feel the pressure anymore. But ultimately what happens with so many people when they feel that pressure of ownership is they just simply quit and walk away. And what's that look like? It looks all kinds of ways, but how it looks like oftentimes is, I'm out of here, I don't want to be married anymore. I'm out of here. I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I love the kids, but I'm not going to be responsible for them anymore. And we turn and we walk out the door because of the pressure. We walk away from the kids, we walk away from the spouse, we walk away from responsibility. We quit the job and we just give up. Maybe somehow trying to relieve the stress somehow, the pressure somehow, somewhere else thinking a change of scenery will change. But here's the problem with that thinking. Changing scenery or changing situations doesn't fix the problem. You're still on the top and God is still on the bottom and the, and the relationship is reversed. But friends, on that day, when you called out to God, if today you have never called out to God, if today you call out to God, if during communion today you called out to God for the first time, it says God breathed life into you. On that day when you call out to God, we turn from sin 
to, to surrender. We turn from living our way to living God's way and we surrender to Jesus and we say, you be the Lord of my life. You be on top. We change positions. Now he's on top. He's the owner and we're under his leadership. But we're also then as under his leadership. We're under his care as his managers. This concept of God being here and us being here brings an incredible level of freedom to your life. It takes the pressure off. And the Bible has a term for it. It's called stewardship. You've heard that word before? Kind of an old sounding word, but scripture uses it. It's called stewardship. And friends, God wants us to get that He wants us to live as stewards, as managers, because it's a position of freedom. And that's what we're going for. We're looking for freedom in Christ. Who Christ has set free is free indeed. And we can find freedom in Christ. And this is one of the dimensions of finding freedom. We become stewards. A steward is one who manages another person's property or finances or household affairs. And as far as our Christianity is concerned, stewardship involves us understanding that God owns everything, that He's in charge, but because He's in charge, He's responsible. And that we then, as His managers, are entrusted with the responsibility of managing those resources that He's entrusted to us according to His leading and in relationship with Him. One of the mistakes we make sometimes, we say, okay, now God, you gave me this stuff, now I've got to manage it for you all on my own. That's not what He's saying. You manage it in relationship with Him. And you say, God, what do you want done with this that's yours? It's still taking, giving the pressure, the responsibility back to Him. We do all of that for His glory. He's the owner. We are the managers. And that's a freedom relationship. Grab your Bibles with me this morning. Turn to the book of First Peter. Chapter 4. You're going to see that I'm not making this up. There's all kinds of places we could go to. First Peter chapter 4. Look at two verses. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 10, verses 10 and 11. You there? Alright. Verse 10 says this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as a good what? Steward. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11. This is an example of how it works then. Verse 11. Whoever speaks, it's a gift that they have, a gift to speak, is to do it so as one who is speaking under the utterance of God. And whoever serves, another gift, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look what it says here. It says, first of all, it says we're supposed to be a what kind of a steward? A good steward. It says, as good stewards. We're supposed to be a good steward. Or again, we can replace it with the word that maybe makes a little more sense in our context. Managers. We are to be good stewards or good managers of what? Of what God has entrusted to us. That's what this verse is saying here. It's like saying this. This is, kind of, this is the, the modern day Mark paraphrase of application for this. It's like saying from God, I'm letting you live in my duplex. I'm letting you live in my duplex, now take care of the, of the duplex. Use it wisely for my glory. Use it to help and to care for people. And of course, guess what? You get to live on one side of it as you're doing it. As you manage it for me. That's what God is saying. It's like saying, I own all the duplexes. 
And guess what? I'm going to entrust one or a couple of them to you. As I entrust them to you, now live in that thing because as a manager, I'll provide for you as my manager. But use it now to help and to care for people and do it all for my glory. Care for it. Take care of it. Now, we know in that text in First Peter, he's not really talking about duplexes, but he could be. You can apply it here because we ultimately know this as stewards that everything that we own really is owned by God. It's really not ours. If that one thought would be embraced by the church world, we would change our nation in no time. I honestly believe it. It's maybe the hardest, I don't know, maybe the hardest spiritual principle to actually live out in your life. But it brings the greatest freedom of understanding that everything is His. You see, I had to go to the bank, to a mortgage company, get a loan for that, for that uh, duplex. I lived in Michigan and I sold my house and, and I remember walking down and I remember the exact amount, $45,000 I got when I sold my house in Michigan. And I came to the bank and I, put a, I, I gave them $45,000 at the bank. That had my name on the, on the check, my name on the money order. And I gave that to them. But you know what? Here's the truth of God's Word. It really should say, and we need to understand that what it really does say is this belongs to God. And I'm just letting Mark use it. Mark and Suzanne and Josh and Brett. I'm just letting them use it. And they use that and they put it down on the duplex and then God cares for us. He says we are to be good stewards. Look at verse 10. Good stewards of the grace of God that is given to us as special gifts. Now I said that in reverse order, but that's exactly what verse 10 says. As each one has received a special gift. Understand this. Every single one of you, when you've come to Christ, has received gifts from God. You have received special enablings. You can do things that no one else on the planet can do as good as you. It's why everybody in the body is incredibly important. Why there's no small people in the body of Christ. We tend to make the mistake of elevating people who stand up here and talk. God doesn't do that. It's just a different gifting. Every person is just as important as the other person. Because he's given every single one of you a gift. He says that each one has received a gift. Say this. Point to yourself. Say, I'm gifted. Some of you don't believe it. Say it again. I'm gifted. You are gifted. Not because of what I say, but because of what God says. He says, each one has received a special gift. Now look what he says to do with the gift. He doesn't say use a gift now to go out and just have fun with it. Employ it. In other words, talking about using it. Work with it. Employ it. In what? In serving one another as good stewards of the manifest grace of God. He says we are to be good stewards of the grace of God that's been given to us and the way the grace of God is expressed in our life is through gifts. The gifts that God gives us. You see, by God's grace, He gives us gifts. Not only our abilities, but everything that we have, every possession, our time, our energy, the very breath in our lungs is a gift from God. If God wouldn't have breathed into Adam, he would have stayed a pile of dust. God breathed into you. It's, it's one of the part of the gift of God in your life. By God's grace, he gives us gifts. And those gifts include everything. And they include one thing that I want to point out today. They include the abilities that God has given you so that you can accomplish and attain in this life. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 is just an illustration of how you use the gifts, how you employ the gifts. And there's, there's many different gifts. He points out two of them here. 
He said, if you have this gift, use it this way. If you have this gift, use it this way. Verse 11. So, whoever speaks, so if you have a speaking gift, you know anybody in the room has got a speaking gift? I can think of one. You know, there's probably more. We don't need many mouths in the body. And somebody says, amen. But um, a speaking gift. So I look at this and say, I have a speaking gift. I understand that. I have a speaking gift. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. So you employ it in a certain way. You understand, you employ that gift to, to speak God's truth and God's word. Whoever serves, another gift, a gift of service. A lot of you have the gift of service. Gifts of hospitality, gifts of serving. Matter of fact, we said one of our fivefold um, purposes of our church is to serve. We're all supposed to serve, but some of you are uniquely gifted to serve. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Who gives you the ability to even do the, use the gift that God gave you? God. You're supposed to serve with the gift by the strength that God gives you to even use the gift that He gave you. That makes sense? So that in all things, God may be glorified. That's the ultimate end game. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. God gives the strength. God gives the, the strength to serve. God gives the words to speak. God gives you the enabling to do whatever He asks you to do, whatever He gifts you to do, and every one of you is gifted. Did you know that the reason that you can do the job that you do is because God has given you the gifting to do that job? You know what? This is kind of an unfair thing in the world. Because some people have giftings that allow them to, in the worldly sense, make incredible amounts of money and be very, in the world's view, very successful. And some people say, well, I don't have those gifts. And they go, it's not fair. What is fair? Because ultimately we're understanding we all serve God and your gift is not less than somebody else's gift. But the world does reward us differently for those gifts. Fair or not, the world rewards us differently for those gifts. But understand this, that the very ability that you have to run your business, to do your job, that Suzanne, to, to be a nurse, the very giftings that you have are given to you from God. And we have to recognize that that comes from God. So guess what? When you have the ability to work and to receive abundantly from that work that you do, from that whatever, you, have, you receive abundance and God wants us to live in abundance. When you receive that abundance, God wants us to live in freedom. Do you see from the text what He wants you to do with the extra? With the abundance? Employ it in serving yourself, right? Oh, thank you. It doesn't say employ it in serving yourself. It says employ it in serving one another. But somebody says, that's not fair. I earned it. And God says, the only reason you could earn it is because I gave you the ability. Not only I gave you the ability, I gave you the strength to use the ability. It's all because of Him. He owns it all. It's all God's. He says, we share the abundance that results from the employment of our giftedness. When we